When our last week, uh, we're in the last week of our series on uh, the book by Jonathan Merritt. What is it? Book, words from scratch? Learning to Speak God from Scratch. The title of it blanked on me, thank you. Learning to Speak God from Scratch, and the word that we're doing today, as you see, is disappointment. Um, It's not exactly the first word you might think of on this happy day of Palm Sunday. Um, But I think think it, it will be helpful for us to think about it specifically, actually, on this day. There's been some uh, neuroscience research done uh, about the uh, effect of disappointment uh, on disappointed expectations, and it has confirmed what uh, we probably already knew. Uh, When we have something good happen in the past and we begin to expect it and anticipate that it will happen in the future, When it doesn't happen, it even hurts more than if we'd never anticipated the possibility. Losing hurts even worse when it's not what you're expecting. I experienced this just myself on a small scale just this week. Uh, During our five years of marriage, my husband has been such a good uh, protector of our household against all critter invasions. Mice, got it, no problem. Even many mice. Uh, Flies, yes, ladybugs, and chipmunks are scared to come into our yard. Uh, But I found out just uh, by happenstance this week, uh, I was out, we were gardening together, and um, he said, watch out for that spot. I think there might be snakes over there. And I said, oh, I'll just call you. There was this big silence. (laughs) I'm like, snakes aren't on your list? No. All of a sudden, the world became a slightly more hostile place to me. In fact, uh, disappointment is something that is an experience that most people have have had, and and I think most people of faith even have had it. And Palm Sunday is a good opportunity to think about what disappointment might be. Uh, Jesus raised expectations about what was coming by his deliberate playing out of a script that would have been familiar to the people. When he asked the disciples to go and get a colt that had never been ridden and bring it so that he might go into Jerusalem, he'd been walking the whole way on his journey previously, that he might ride into Jerusalem on a colt, he was raising, in a sense, their expectations alluding to a script that they would have known uh, from Psalm 118, that uh, source of that scripture that uh, if you were a kid a long time ago, you used to sing, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, 
the Lord is my might and my salvation, are from Psalm 118. And in fact, in parts of Psalm 118, uh, it's uh, talking about a person who's surrounded by enemies on all sides, but God comes to his defense and he manages to get past all of them. And then that wonderful scripture that the people are quoting that day as Jesus comes into town. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was not only playing on the script of Psalm, but also of the prophets of Zechariah. And, and Jesus was also fulfilling a kind of script that they would have known of historically. Uh, just 200 years before, which seems like a long time ago, but uh, World War II seems like a long time ago too, but it is still a script in our house. Thank you, History Channel. Uh, they, 200 years before, when the people of Israel had been uh, under uh, Greco-Seleucid uh, king's domination, and he had tried to enforce Hellenization on them and uh, tried to make them worship Greek gods and desecrated the temple. Judas Maccabeus, a rebel, also entered Jerusalem and people waved palms and put down the branches to welcome him. And he came in and kicked out the oppressors and the people of Jerusalem had about 100 years when they were absent of foreign domination until the Romans came back. Jesus was playing on that script that was familiar. Jesus had been alluding to a kingdom and had done marvelous things. Bethany, that Jesus left in order to go into Jerusalem, was the place where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And so, in some sense, Jesus tantalized them into big, big expectations, almost setting them up for disappointment. Now, if that's possible, uh, why might that be? Well, remember this Palm Sunday, this really great parade, was just the beginning of an event-filled week that had an absolute roller coaster of ups and downs associated with it. Lowell read some excerpts for us of some of the things that were going on in the disciples' lives. And at the end of that event-filled week, just one week later, the disciples found themselves articulating profound disappointment. You know the story. They were leaving Jerusalem and they were walking on the road to Emmaus and they were commiserating over all that had happened. And Jesus joined them, but they didn't recognize him. And he said, what are you talking about? Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people our leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he would be the one 
to redeem Israel. There's hardly a better uh, expression of the disappointment that they were feeling. And if Jesus was maybe an intentional catalyst of their disappointment, we might ask ourselves why. Uh, Jonathan Merritt suggests that disillusionment with uh, images of God that are inaccurate is a hidden gift of disappointment in the religious person's life. Disillusionment with false images or lesser images of God. Lowell talked about the image of God as the mighty conqueror who was coming to be a king on a political throne and to rule the land as David had. You can see that the disciples were slightly getting disavowed of those notions in their episodes with Jesus that week. The two disciples who were arguing over who was greatest were thinking maybe God was kind of like the, the top of the hierarchy of a political boss who could yield, deliver favors to people who'd been in good with him and give them positions of importance. They wanted a God who made them important and significant. Peter, Peter who decided he wasn't going in that game, he, he was going to be with Jesus to the end no matter what it took. Peter had incredible faith in his own faith, which is a, a backwards way of saying he had a lot of faith in himself. Jesus tried to bring him down from that, that faith of the self-made man. I can take care of it. If no one else can, I'll rise to the occasion. And when Jesus asked the disciples if they would be with him in the garden in a time when he needed their solidarity spiritually in prayer, the disciples, who were only too ready when the guards came later to arrest Jesus to pull out a sword and try to grab onto an answer with force, didn't think praying and communion and connection with God was significant enough to keep their interest and keep them awake. So we see all throughout the week that the disciples have been looking for and putting their hopes in a God who was different than what Jesus was offering. In many ways, we have our hopes put in God, a God who protects us from everything, a God who guarantees us a comfortable life. Sometimes we might have our hopes in God who will make us significant, or God who will keep us from getting any kind of illness or heal every illness. 
we put our hopes in part of what God is, but life can sometimes bring us disappointments. It's not such a big disappointment, really, to fight snakes on your own. But people have far more significant challenges. Maybe you've been disappointed by God sometime. Having a condition or an illness that's not easily cured, that you're just gonna have to deal with. Having someone you love and have invested a lot in not return your love a child who won't talk to you. Maybe you've also experienced the kinds of disappointments that come from feeling like you're in a career, you haven't found the career that full, uses all your gifts. And so you wonder, where's God? Disappointment with God can make people uh, kind of change their ideas about God. We might decide, well, maybe God's out there, but it's not relevant. Maybe God has power, but not anything that's helpful to me. Maybe God doesn't really care about me. C.S. Lewis says that one of the, the deepest challenges to faith is not losing belief in God, but the greatest threat to faith is being disappointed with God and coming to believe dreadful things about God. So during this week, in which we can walk from the high of a king that's coming and going to save us and deliver us. We have an opportunity each Holy Week to come to terms with what we see in the disciples. Having the powerful God they wanted who could govern by rule and force and in this world be challenged with a God who is vulnerable, who can suffer for our sake, and who yields the power of love and communion with God's Holy Spirit. We get a choice this week as we think about all that Jesus went through and all the disciples went through to decide again if we want to hang in there with God and let God become mysterious and big and powerful in God's own way. One thing that's very clear as we walk through this week is that Jesus did not have illusions about human nature when he went to the cross for our sake. He didn't have illusions that we were uh, really faithful, that we were really wise, that we were really self-controlled, that we were anything other than sometimes frightened, sometimes fickle, 
and sometimes loving. And Jesus went on into the will of God so that we might experience the power of God unleashed in his spirit. Psalm 118 that has those uh, words about the mighty power of God and save us, redeem us, begins and ends on a very consistent note. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Three times, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And at the end of the day, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Lord is God and he has given us light for his steadfast love endures forever. I think in this season, many of us uh, have been brought anew into a, an awareness of disappointment with the church. Disappointment with the church that made decisions not to include. Disappointment with the church that didn't seem to see people instead of issues. Disappointment that talking and praying over a period of time didn't seem to make a difference. But I would invite us to abide, to abide with God and continue to avail ourselves of what God would do next. God's love and God's communion can work in us and through us and through us to the world. And this is what God's offer is to us. That love, God's love has been poured out. The disciples didn't get it during that week. But St. Paul, many years later, captured the spirit that I love in one of my favorite verses in Romans 5, 5. Therefore, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access to his grace in which we stand. And we can boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. At the end of the day, in whatever circumstances of life might come our way, the love of God is the best gift of all the relationship that God offers us. Not because we're good or because we're strong or because we're always perfect or because we understand everything, but because that's who God is and wants to be in us and for us and through us. So let's walk with Jesus through this week 
come out on the other side more hopeful, more loving. Disappointed, disillusioned, but at peace with the God who is. Amen.